Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host, and today we're going to be looking at the weather. We'll talk about sports and our Wyoming Cowboys. We'll talk about mental health. And then we're going to take and visit about the grave of Elizabeth Paul. And finally today, we'll also look at the Warm Springs, a rest spot on the Oregon Trail. Thanks for hopping on board, and we hope you enjoy our show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather here on the 25th day of August. Definitely a cool day. Temperatures right now in Hot Springs County are in the low 70s. Had a little bit of clouds overnight, some showers depending where you are in the county. Here recently, if you've watched the news, Texas has been hit with some pretty large flooding. Other parts of the country, I did see Moab, Utah had issues. We had it happen here locally in Cody, Wyoming. There were some severe thunderstorms that caused some flooding in the southern part of Cody. So just strange weather out there right now. But, of course, we're getting to the end of the month. This type of weather pattern should probably hold true. Well, getting ready for winter. But, again, it looks good going through into Labor Day weekend. This is right around the corner. Taking a look at Wyoming sports. The Wyoming Cowboys will be in action on Saturday, the 27th day of August, as they will travel to Champaign, Illinois, to take on the University of Illinois out of the Big Ten. It'll be a challenge for the Cowboys, as Illinois, with that Big Ten recruiting, definitely have an advantage over Wyoming. Cowboys come into the game, kind of a lot of unknowns. I think that this might be an interesting team to watch this year. The quarterback position, of course, we lost a lot of players last year due to transfer portal. We did get transfers in. Our quarterback on the 2022 Wyoming depth chart is still listed as to be announced. Every every other position has their depth chart, but right now a little unknown on the starting quarterback. We traded our, our quarterback that was here for the Cowboys last year. He transferred to Utah State, and then we got a transfer in from Utah State. So it'd be rather interesting to see who's a starting quarterback and really don't know him. We'll have to see what happens in the game. The defense, I think, will be okay. Offense has some injuries early, but the uh, you know we'll know what Wyoming will do. They want to throw the ball a little bit more this year, but again, they will definitely run the ball. So we just definitely know that from being around Coach Bowl all these years. So it's going to be rather interesting. It'll be broadcast live on the Big Ten Network on Saturday. Cowboys will be back in action at War Memorial next Saturday, the 3rd of September as they take on the University of Tulsa. So a chance for all us Wyoming Cowboy fans to go down and take in a game and see how the action goes for the Cowboys. In high school sports, just getting started here in Wyoming, volleyball will be in action this weekend, girls volleyball. Football is doing what we call here their zero-week games. These games won't stand account in the standings. They'll actually start their regular seasons next week. So a lot of activity out there. Again, as we always say, the yellow buses will definitely be on the highway starting now you'll have to start looking out for them all weekend long as they travel about the state transporting these kids around to compete in these athletics remember it's a great opportunity for everyone to go out there and support your local school today we'd like to talk about mental health in our state of wyoming i found these facts and figures rather interesting of our state here in the 
Wyoming concerning suicide. In 2019, there were 170 deaths by suicide in Wyoming. On average, someone in Wyoming died by suicide every 60 hours. In 2015, the average cost per suicide in Wyoming was $1.3 million. 75% of Wyomingite suicide involves a firearm. Men are more likely to use firearms, which women are most likely to die by hanging. Anyone can identify someone at risk of suicide. Listening attentively and asking the right question may save someone's life. Precipitating factors are often stressful events that can trigger a suicide crisis in a vulnerable person. And these include end of a relationship or marriage, death of a loved one, serious loss, loss of employment, safe and stable housing, serious financial problems, loss of custody of a child, recent diagnosis of a serious medical condition, and feeling like a burden to society. The Wyoming Injury and Violence Prevention Program leads a collaborative effort on suicide prevention throughout the state with training and providing a technical assistance to local communities. Effectively preventing suicide can be done by reducing easy access to lethal means, awareness of warning signs and resources, improving local resources, and targeting middle-aged men and older adults as their rates are climbing. In Wyoming, middle-aged men and older adults die more often by suicide than their counterparts. With a suicide rate of 29.4 per 100,000 people in 2019, Wyoming ranked first in the United States for suicide deaths and doubled the national average of 14.5 deaths per 100,000. Suicide is the seventh leading cause of death in Wyoming. However, it's the second leading cause of death for ages 10 through 44. If you or someone you know is at intimate risk of harming yourself or someone else, call 911. Otherwise, Wyoming residents needing support can call 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255, or text WYO, W-Y-O, to 741-741 for the crisis text line. And right now in Wyoming, we have a three-digit number to call, 988-988. If you or have someone or you have any type of suicidal thoughts, call that number. There are people out there that are trained to help you. And I will tell you that you are loved, you are cared for. The times get a little bit tough out there, but it's really important to use your resources. Talk to your family. Find the help. You have loved ones that are dearly wanting you around. Today we're going to look at a story on the grave of Elizabeth Paul by Randy Brown from WyomingHistory.org. In the summer of 1862, a large train of 80 wagons was making its way west of the mountains in what is now western Wyoming when serious troubles led to the death of two women and their infants within a matter of days. The grave of one of the mothers, 32-year-old Elizabeth Paul, remains today on the Lander Trail on Labarge Creek in the mountain country of the Salt River Range, Bridger-Teton National Forest. Elizabeth Mortimer Paul was born in Indiana in 1829, the oldest daughter and second child of Thomas Plimworth Mortimer, and Martha Patsy Alice Mortimer. Early in 1830, the Mortimer family moved from Indiana 
to Wapello County, Iowa, where they eventually became acquainted with the family of Joseph and Mary Paul, Virginians who moved to Indiana about 1830 and then to Iowa in 1845. Their son Thomas, who had been born in Monroe County, Virginia, now West Virginia, in 1828. Thomas Paul and Elizabeth Mortimer were married in 1849. Thomas was, like his father Joseph, a farmer and a Methodist minister. By 1862, Elizabeth and Thomas were parents of six children, Louisa, age 12, Mary, age 10, Isaac, age 9, Harriet, age 8, Patsy Alice, who was 5, and Lucinda, who was age 2. Another son named Joseph Plymworth Paul, for his two grandfathers, was born in 1859 but lived for less than a year. In 1862, the families of Joseph and Thomas Paul and other relatives joined a company determined to move to the vicinity of Walla Walla in Washington Territory. They left home on April 24th. Joseph Paul was selected captain of the outfit, of which a roster survives. When all the contingents had assembled, the company consisted of 88 men, 69 women, and 86 children under the age of 18. They had 52 ox-drawn wagons, 315 head of cattle, 38 saddle horses, 14 mules, 38 milk cows, for a total of 404 head of stock. As they headed west, others joined them, and by July 10th, it was a train of 80 wagons, 334 people, and 532 head of stock. There were worries about the possible Indian attacks, so companies had come together for mutual protection. By then, the overall captain of the wagon train was John K. Kennedy, also from Mahaska County, Iowa. Because of its size, or perhaps because of its incompetence and its captain, the company had many problems, especially with stampeding cattle. When the Pauls left home, Elizabeth Paul was pregnant with her eighth child. Apparently, it was a troubled pregnancy. Diarists with the company said that they were often delayed because of sickness in the train. There were other pregnant women in the company, but Elizabeth Paul is specifically mentioned on July 5th. Relating camp until 1 o'clock on the account of Thomas Paul's wife being sick. She was better at noon, so we hitched up. On July 16th, the party which was sick is able to travel this morning, so we moved on once more. Again on July 24th, stayed in camp on account of sickness in the company. The entry of the last two days may well refer to Elizabeth Paul. By this time, many teams in the company, tired of the trouble and delays, had moved on. On the night of July 25th, the company's cattle stampede twice, and then again on the night of July 26th. The next morning, July 27, 1862, Elizabeth Paul died giving birth to her eighth child, a girl. Diarist Hamilton Scott wrote, We remain in camp all day. Thomas Paul's wife died about 9 o'clock this morning. She died in childbirth. She also left an infant. She had been in very poor health for some time. We buried her this evening under a large pine tree and put a post and railing fence around her grave. Thomas Paul named the baby Elizabeth. Paul's oldest child, Louisa, believes six decades later that the last of these stampedes had something to do with her mother's death. Father being on guard at the time caused mother a great deal of worry and the excitement causing premature confinement. She died the next day. The baby lived but a week and was buried a week later after mother's death. The ladies made up some verses and put them on a board which they placed at the head of mother's grave. The men made howling and put it all around her grave. Diarist Jane Gould's company caught up to the Kennedy train on July 28th when she wrote, 
came past the camp of 36 wagons who have been camped for some time here in the mountains. They have had their cattle stampede four or five times. There was a woman dead in their train yesterday. She left six children and one of them only two days old. Poor little thing. It had better died with its mother. They made a good picket fence around the grave. Henry Judson, another immigrant from Iowa, came by on July 29th. We passed this afternoon a beautiful grave made in an opening of a forest directly beneath a fine fir tree. It was made on the 27th, only two days ago, and was enclosed in a picket yard of timber. A board set at a notch saw into the tree informed us that the grave contained the remains of Mrs. Elizabeth Paul, aged 32. Beneath some kind words and pinned a paper on which were written three beautiful and appropriate verses, which I regret very much I had time to copy. James McClug was a member of the Paul Company, and in his diary entry of July 27th, he included the three stanzas of the verse left at the grave. Elizabeth, wife of Thomas Paul, died and was buried this afternoon near the foot of the mountain, aged 32 years, 7 months, and 27 days, this is a day of sorrow indeed. The first stanza was a well-known early 19th century epithet. Friends and physicians could not save this immortal lovely body from the grave, nor can the grave confine it here, when God commands it to appear. For thou, it was her lot to die, here among the mountains high. Yet when Gabriel's trumpet shall sound, among the blessed she will be found. And while she rests beneath this tree, a holy angels watch and see, that not disturb her peaceful day until the dawning of the day. On July 29th, after gathering up all but four of their lost cattle, the company moved on. In the next few days, they traveled through Star Valley, entered the mountains again after crossing what's now the Wyoming-Idaho state line, and camped the evening of August 1st near Lane's Creek. Got through the mountains today, a diarist wrote that evening. Their troubles were far from over, however. A stampede and more deaths. The next day, August 2nd, they experienced another devastating stampede. 25 teams ran away, and several people were badly injured. Mrs. Nancy Townsend attempted to jump from her runaway wagon, but hampered by her advanced pregnancy, she wasn't able to clear the wagon. She was run over by the heavy wheels and badly crushed. The next day, she suffered a miscarriage, and she and the baby died soon after. Nancy Townsend, wife of Samuel Townsend, was 21. On the night of August 2nd, the week-old infant, Elizabeth Paul died. She was buried at noon the next day, about the time Nancy Townsend passed away. Jane Gould wrote, We passed the, the train I had just spoken of. They had just buried the babe of the woman who died a few days ago. And we're just digging a grave for another woman who was run over by the cattle and the wagons when they stampeded yesterday. She lived 24 hours. She gave birth to a child a short time before she died child was buried with her. She leaves a two-year-old little girl and a husband. They say he is nearly crazy with sorrow. The grave of Nancy Townsend and child and that of Elizabeth Paul's infant are a mile or two east of Gray's Lake on the Lander Trail, but the exact site are now lost. The grave of mother Elizabeth Paul, however, still survives. Julius Merrill was there on August 15, 1864 and wrote, Past a grave enclosed by a picket fence, painted white, a lovelier spot I have never saw. There is an opening of perhaps half an acre, with one large shady pine near the center. 
Under this lone tree was the grave. The beauty of the place and the care bestowed upon the remains of the woman cause us to look at it. The gravesite has much the same appearance today. The original pine tree still stands over the grave. Thomas Paul went on to Washington Territory and settled on Dry Creek, a six miles north of Walla Walla, and married again to Susan Zaring in 1863. They had four more children. Thomas Paul died in 1904 and is buried in Mountain View Cemetery in Walla Walla. Another saga of the settlers as they came to the West and some of the hardships that they faced. And in this story, you could feel the agony and what they were going through on this long, perilous trip and the impact it had on everyone involved. And finally today, another article from wyominghistory.org. This is on the Warm Springs, a rest spot on the Oregon Trail, keeping in line with our wagon train and our settlers coming to our great state of Wyoming. First described in 1842 by explorer John C. Fremont on U.S. topographical engineers, Warm Springs is one of the most famous waterholes on the Oregon-California Trail, about three miles southwest of present Guernsey, Wyoming, in northern Platte County. The spring is in a draw or canyon where immigrants carved their names on the sandstone bluff. On July 21st, Fremont noted the approach to the springs from Fort Laramie. The road led over an interesting plateau between the North Fork of the Platte on the right and the Laramie River on the left. At the distance of 10 miles from the fort, we entered the sandy bed of a creek, kind of a defile shaded by precipitous rocks down which we wound our way for several hundred yards to a place where, on the left bank, a very large spring gushes from considerable noise and forces out of the limestone rock. There are two outlets at Warm Springs, one forming a large pool, the other flowing out of rocks about 100 yards east. In 1849, immigrant Amos Batchelder wrote, Warm Springs comes out of the ground at the foot of a hill of limestone in a dry, sandy, barren valley, which has a range of high limestone hills on each side, with no sufficient soil on them to support vegetation except a few yellow pines and cedars, and they are very small and shrubby. A company of men from the fort were nearby, cutting wood and preparing to burn lime for the fort. The spring was occasionally called Lime Kiln Spring because of these operations. Heating crushed limestone in a kiln produced quicklime, which was an important ingredient in cement. Shortly after starting the lime kiln near Warm Springs, the military moved it to Cold Springs, about two miles north. Israel Hale, on the way to California during the first of these two most heavily traveled gold rush years, wrote on June 15, 1849, We followed the river two or three miles and took across the hill. It was an open rolling prairie with cedar or pine hills in plain view. No appearance of water until we drove 10 or 12 miles where we found a fine spring. It affords us much water as house a spring of Jefferson County, Missouri. The water, however, was warm. Also in 1849, John Benson wrote, In going up a hollow, we came to a warm spring. Water clear and tasted well. Scenery beautiful. This afternoon a shower fell and lay the dust camped about three miles from the warm spring. Benson noticed many items left along the trail by previous travelers. This afternoon, I counted six abandoned wagons, saw eight stoves, two to three thousand pounds of flour and bacon thrown away, and perhaps did not see one half of what was on the road. Like Israel Hale, Henry Puckett was one of the many travelers who commented on the unusually warm temperature of the water. On June 23, 1850, Puckett wrote, 
These springs are quite a curiosity. The water gushes up from under a high bluff in such quantities as to form a considerable stream, and its temperatures at all seasons is considerably warmer than the river water in summer. During our afternoon walk, we saw acres literally covered with different varieties of cactus, many of them in full bloom. Sometimes called big springs by the immigrants, warm springs is known in Wyoming folklore as the immigrants' laundry tub because the pool formed by the spring was a convenient place for travelers to wash the trail dust out of filthy clothes. One of the 1850 travelers, Pussy Graves, washed his clothes in the pool on June 24th. Graves wrote, We all fell an unusual buoyancy of spirits on entering this region. The change from the mountains to the valley air was truly present and agreeable. I proceeded to the spring a distance of one and a half miles with my bucket of dirty clothes. Instead of taking the road, I passed over the hills and ravines to gaze on nature's beauties. For up to this time, our road was apparently a dead level and the scenery dead and sullen monotony. There are five graves near Warm Springs, including the grave of Dr. McDermott of Fairfield, Iowa, who died on June 21, 1849 at the age of 28. Many immigrants commented on McDermott's grave, possibly because of its unusual appearance. On June 27, 1852, California-bound Richard Keene wrote, On an eminence about 200 yards from the spring, I actually came upon a grave, which made quite an impression at the time. Here was a grave, neatly finished and well paved with small boulders, and on his headboard was nailed his epithy, which he had procured before starting. Physician, sign, or shingle. It read, Dr. McDermott, and under was scratched the date of his death, which was June 21, 1849. He sleeps here alone on these rugged mountains far from the road, and a place seldom seen by white men. On this day, Keene inscribed his name on a bluff a mile beyond Warm Springs, R.A. Keene. The inscription is still there, along with seven or eight others. Warm Springs and the surrounding land, though owned by the state of Wyoming, is controlled by the National Guard Camp in nearby Guernsey, Wyoming. Permission to visit this area must be obtained at Camp Guernsey. Warm Springs area remains undeveloped and little changed since the Oregon-California trail days, except for fences and grazing cattle. This is another outstanding story, travel of all these settlers coming to the West. And both of our stories today just absolutely intrigue me. The amount of effort it took and what these people went through, and I can only imagine but those warm springs, what relief they brought to people along that long journey. It's absolutely amazing. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed our show. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming here at Let's Talk Wyoming, your everything Wyoming podcast.